Pop and Hello and welcome to the Trek Podcast. I'm David Evermy. Today I'll be chatting with Kevin Stoffman. Kevin is the National Real Estate Blockchain Lead at Deloitte Consulting. We're going to talk about a topic that's on everybody's minds right now, blockchain technology and its uses uh, generally and in the commercial real estate industry. Um, before we start, uh, I would like to remind everybody that you can subscribe to our podcast over soundcloud.com backslash Trek Dallas, and be sure to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash the Real Estate Council, and also on Twitter and Instagram at Trek Dallas. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Um, Okay, could you start with real a basic introduction? So what is blockchain technology and how is it useful? Absolutely. So most folks that I'm hoping are listening to this podcast and are in the world of real estate uh, likely interact with some sort of ledger, a place where you're going to record uh, the transactions in your business, income and expenses, assets, liabilities, anything in the accounting world. Blockchain is version 2.0 of that ledger. So instead of logging into one place and seeing data that is different from other people logging into that database, everyone can now see the same thing. So let's say my company has 100 employees. They all utilize this blockchain ledger. They can all see the same set of data. And when someone adds new transactions to it, everyone sees the same thing updated in real time. Also, as new transactions are added to this blockchain, all 100 employees are lending their computing power and solving a cryptographic math problem that helps validate those transactions. It's called uh, approval by consensus. That's a blockchain. Um, so in theory, it's not hackable, correct? I mean, you can't hack a blockchain? So two, two uh, what I call it, hack-proof measures. One is if you, when you log into a website, you typically have a username and a password. It's no different than on a blockchain. You have a public key and you have a private key. Now the difference is your private key is 32 alphanumeric characters long. Very, very hard to memorize, but even harder to hack. So let's take every supercomputer on the planet today. If you combined all that computing power together and tried to brute force hack my private key, it would take you 4,000 years. <laughs> okay. So very hard to hack in, 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 in today's world. Secondly, even if you were able to sneak into the back end of a blockchain, you would have to take over over half the devices on the network to introduce a fraudulent transaction because the entire network is operating off of a consensus model. So the majority of devices have to be hacked simultaneously. So again, apologies uh, from, from a layperson's perspective here. What's the difference between the blockchain technology and Bitcoin? Ah, yes, the, the eternal, what cryptocurrency should I buy? Should I, uh, right. should I buy Bitcoin? <laughs> uh, Bitcoin and other what we call cryptocurrencies uh, are kind of the new age of money. They, they do not, they're not backed by any other underlying assets. Uh, they're just traded on the open market as digital tokens. So uh, each token was introduced for a different purpose, but Bitcoin was the first. Uh, you, you need blockchain technology to facilitate the trading of Bitcoin because blockchain is the network that where that currency operates. 
but you don't need Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies to have a blockchain. You can have a blockchain without currency at all. That's really helpful. I think we'll come back to that. I've got a couple of follow-up questions, but we'll get back to those a little bit later. Still trying to keep in terms of trying to get my mind around what this blockchain technology really is. It, can you give me some examples of um, how, how is blockchain being used in the commercial real estate space today? Sure. Uh, in, in use today, in the market, very few use cases are live for commercial real estate. But I can tell you some pilots that are being done today. I can't mention client names, of course. Uh, I would get in trouble for that. But uh, the transfer of assets from one party to another, so transferring title and land ownership deeds, that's being used in blockchain today. Uh, the verification of someone's identity to verify they are the buyer, the seller, or a trusted third party. So identity verification. And then lastly, uh, basic leasing contracts in a commercial building can be stored on a blockchain as long as they're fairly simple uh, rent contracts. So in a transaction-orientated business, which ours is, we are headed full pace right into the heart of this technology, like it or not. Absolutely. I, you think about any, I'm not going to say opaque market, but any inefficient market. So in real estate, the typical transaction, residential or commercial, typically has around nine parties touching it. You know, you have buyer, you have seller, you have underwriter, lender may be different, appraiser, title company, insurer. Uh, a lot of people who are making sure the transaction is legal and above board, and because of that, they want their piece of the pie. And because data is not all sitting in the same place, each of these intermediaries can, can justify uh, not only their existence, but their value. What blockchain is going to do eventually is take all of that important data that's helping us make a decision, and it's going to be in one place and transparent and shareable. So I think you told me um, uh, before we started here that um, blockchain's been around since early 2000s. So what? 2008. 2008? Yep. So what, what's taken us so long to adopt it? Is it, <laughs> <laughs> is it just our industry? or? Uh, well, it, I mean, it's not only real estate. A lot of people have been, have been skeptical for a while. But, you know, when I think about this, first I think I go all the way back to the Internet. So TCP IP, which was the protocol that became email, was invented in the early 70s. And America Online didn't really become a, a thing nationally, like where people knew its name, until the mid-90s. So it took over 20 years for this brand new revolutionary technology to kind of seep across the entire market and get beyond just early adopters. I think you're seeing the same thing with blockchain. So it was invented in 2008. Uh, currency speculators really dove into it in 2013. Uh, the banking supply chain and healthcare markets began testing it out in 2015. Uh, and now in 2018, you're starting to see real estate creep in. So if we use the same timeline as other new technologies like the Internet, uh, within the next decade, you're going to see fairly massive adoption. So I think listening to you speak, I'm getting a better understanding of... Um, what it is, why it's important, and then um, obviously it's the maybe it's the commercial banking industry that's sort of taken the lead here for the the obvious reasons here is that's where the the pinnacle point, if you like, of the transaction business is. Is that is that weird? Yeah, I mean they they feel you know rightly threatened uh, the for what 
hundreds of years, the, the idea of, of the bank, the trusted third party so people can transfer money across long geographies from one party to another has been the reason I think we're, we've grown as a global economy. Well, all of a sudden, uh, if they lose their place as supreme gatekeeper, uh, they don't get to control the transaction and they don't get to control the fees. So they've been investing heavily to try to figure out ways to democratize the process for um, depositors and lenders while also trying to hold on to their status as, as important intermediary. So looking forward here, um, <coughs> potential uses in the commercial real estate industry space. Um, you know, do you envisage um, this technology being more useful in certain real estate sectors, in the retail sector maybe, or in logistics in the industrial sector, or is, is it going to be universally adopted? Or? Uh, I think it will be universally adopted, but I think its use cases will differ by subsector. So to me, the residential side of the coin, whether it's single family or multifamily real estate, is the idea of changing the mortgage, uh, how you underwrite and provide proof of funds to you know for the transaction to get done and lowering the transaction time from what today usually takes 60 days trying to get that down to six uh, on the commercial side I think it's making the tenant uh, landlord relationship a little more transparent so that you can have better negotiation when you're trying to find new retail space or new office space or if you're trying to attract the right tenants and I think that pressure is prevalent today because co-working spaces like we work are forcing developers and other landlords to be a little more uh, creative. And then on the industrial side, I think fixing the supply chain, understanding where all of your uh, equipment or products are coming from. Customers just want to know that now. So are the big, you know, the big uh, logistical companies, the Amazon, uh, is this at the heart of what they're doing all over the country? I mean, they're using this all the time? It's, it, it's a piece. So what, what, I, what I get from a lot of clients is, oh, I just need to get that blockchain thing, and that's going to solve all my problems. Right. Uh, <laughs> like, like any technology before it, it, it it's, it's not going to solve everything in a standalone. You know, you're really going to have to, you're still probably going to need an enterprise system to manage data. Uh, you're still going to want some sort of platform that provides you with some analytics and lets you be intelligent about the decisions you made. Blockchain will just democratize the sharing of data, they're not going to help you make actual decisions. So automating processes, using machine learning, all of that is going to become important as well. So um, going back to um, the hackable question and the use of, of blockchain technology, is it fair to say that um, the, the, the hackable uh, ease of, or not being able to hack it is better the bigger the network is. So, you know, if it's a global network, you've got, you're duplicating databases, you know, simultaneously all the time. And my, the reason for I ask is, does blockchain technology have a role in, in an organization like Trek, where we have a small, relatively, you know, tight-knit network that knows each other already? So, uh, could you comment on that? Yeah, I actually, I just uh, wrote an article that, on this that's going to be released in a couple weeks on when should I use blockchain at, at my organization? And we've created this you know, kind of two-by-two two matrix because this is what consultants do all the time is we try to make a matrix or a methodology <laughs> out of it. 
what what type of value are you going to get out of this technology for your organization? What business problem does it solve? A and B is that technology the best fit? And then there's you know different parameters we weigh in order to choose that. So at a small organization like Trek, um, you have a, a limited number of people who are going to be sharing data with one another. They all work for the same organization and have like a higher level of trust for one another as well. So blockchain likely doesn't make sense. And the reason for that is that the purpose of blockchain is I want to be able to share data with people that I don't necessarily trust. So if multiple people are sharing data, multiple people are editing data, I need safeguards in place to ensure that data is accurate, then blockchain makes more sense. So that's the functional business reason. The, the security reason is, well, if I only have 50 people at Trek that are going to share data, uh, if somebody came into the office one night and took over only 26 of the computers, they could introduce fraudulent transactions on the network. But if Trek was working with let's say the Grow South Fund, and now you have the mayor's office, you have economic development people, you have the investors, you have the developers, you have the title companies, you have the brokers. Well, now you have like a 1,000 people. Not only is it much tougher to take over or hack, you have all these other parties that want to work together but may not necessarily trust each other. Blockchain makes a lot more sense. Really interesting. Um, <coughs> now, I work, uh, my daily life is in the investment space, so I've got to go back to um, the inevitable questions here on Bitcoin. <laughs> so uh, could, you, could you touch on, okay, the investment mechanics behind Bitcoin and why, why the huge run-up in value? Why, you know, why the question marks now? Um, you know, and I've got a couple of follow-up questions I'll add on to that. But yeah, could you Sure. I, you know, the reason Bitcoin was even invented in the, in the first place, so this was 2008, I think for at least a brief period, the entire world wondered whether they could trust the banking system and whether they could trust governments to backstop what was a completely global failing market. You, you couldn't mark to market your real estate assets. You didn't even know what your buildings were worth for a time. So with that as the backdrop and the background, someone created this currency that would be independent of centralized authority. We don't need the banks. We don't need government. We can transact with one another on a, on a trust system. And so as that began to gain popularity, more and more people began to buy into the network. And then because they did, speculators came in and then began to drive up the price. Now, Bitcoin, like any other crypto, isn't backed by underlying assets. It's like the U.S. dollar. Like the U.S. dollar is just based on the full faith and credit of the U.S. government backing up what it's printed. Well, Bitcoin doesn't have any entity backing it up. It's just a bet by speculators that more and more people will begin to use this worldwide, so the value's gone up. So I shouldn't mortgage my house and go buy some more on it? <laughs> uh, anytime someone asks me whether they should buy cryptocurrency, I tell them, take that money go to Vegas, <laughs> throw it on the roulette wheel, have a great time. The odds are similar. Uh, but if you do have you know, a very, very small percentage of your assets to burn uh, and you want to take a long-term bet, uh, one of these cryptocurrencies is likely going to have a lot of value. The problem is we don't know which one, and there are hundreds of them today. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I've been reading about um, Ethereum, if I'm pronouncing that right, and um, you know, I hit the, there are a lot of other alternatives, correct, that you don't hear so much about. Yeah. So is, are these fad 
you know, with speculative commodities? Or I mean, I mean, how do you choose between them? Is is there a perfect set of elements for a cryptocurrency that? Yeah, some some of them are just completely speculative cryptos. Some of them were created to actually solve other non-ideological problems. So you have Filecoin, which was created as a decentralized global storage system. You have uh, Tezos, you have Monero, you have all these other coins that have been offered to solve different uh, problems. Ethereum was created to do what we call smart contracts so that you could put all sorts of legal contracts onto a system that automates the rules. Uh, to me, all of them are risky because they're not yet proven. The technology still needs to be built out. You have, I mean, Ethereum has been hacked. Uh, one of the Bitcoin exchanges has been hacked. So the, the blockchains themselves are very safe. But once you add other layers on top of them and begin to transact in their currency, those are, are vulnerable to all the same human technology problems you've had before. And I guess once you've been, once you hacked in that environment, then the value is, I mean, very much at risk. Yes. N um, and not only at risk, but because it's based on you and a, pri a long private key, if that money gets taken, you have no way of proving it, so you and getting it back. Hmm. That puts it in an interesting perspective. <laughs> um, so, you're, so, you know, if you have money in checking and savings, you know, it, it's, it's a good spot to be in. <laughs> <laughs> um, first, we could talk about um, getting into this space. Um, changes in, reg in the regulatory environment. How is this being managed by the government? What's coming next? Sure. Uh, you know, the government didn't really feel the need to weigh in for quite a while because they thought it was going to be a fad and it wasn't real. And all of a sudden, now that billions of dollars in market cap are introduced, uh, the government would like to weigh in. And, and, that, and that's for two reasons. The, f the first is you likely have heard the term initial coin offering. And that is just a way for these new platforms to crowdfund um, their development of a platform or, or raise capital for their company while avoiding the legal requirements of an IPO or having to go to venture capitalists and give up a big chunk of your company, they do these ICOs uh, to try to raise a lot of money. The, the problem is because they're not regulated, uh, there have been a lot of scams. Uh, some folks are probably going to go to jail. A lot of investors have been defrauded uh, because they're saying that these aren't securities, and the SEC is saying, yes, they are. Um, the other side of that is municipalities, whether that's, you know, city of Dallas or even up at the state of Texas or the federal government, they would like to weigh in and say, what, what's a legal transfer of title on a blockchain look like? You know, how do we ensure that when someone sells their house or their apartment building or their industrial warehouse that ownership is transferred correctly and legally recognized? Government's starting to, to write some rules on that. And right now, it's very different for each state. Is um, if I was to put blockchain into um, you know a broad-based definition of big data, uh, would I be confusing the two and getting that completely wrong? Is this a part of? Yeah, it's 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 a part of an overall ecosystem. What what I like to tell most clients is, um, all of your data that might sit on your computer or one database today is being moved into the cloud. You know, it's a space where we can all share it. Uh, once all of that data is in one place then machines are brought in and they perform pattern recognition. So if you hear the term machine learning, that's just creating patterns out of data in the cloud. Then AI comes in and uses some, they call it stochastics, to take those patterns and make them actionable. 
And then once you have actionable patterns, all of your di devices that are now gonna be connected together, the internet of things, can automate those actions. And then lastly, uh, you have augmented or virtual reality that can now bring those decisions you just made to life right in front of your eyes. So to circle completely back to the beginning, if you could decentralize and democratize all the data that's in the cloud among parties, you could make all of these decisions a lot quicker, a lot more efficient, a lot better, and that's what blockchain does. Wow, I think I got some of that. Most <laughs> of it, I don't, I don't know, but that, that was super interesting. Um, just a couple of general questions to wrap up here. We, you know, in terms of how the rest of the world is using this technology, uh, are we beh ahead behind? Uh, the U.S., like most often, uh, is usually a little bit behind the rest of the world. And that's not because we're not innovative or we're not risk takers. It's that we don't have the sense of urgency that other countries might have. So Venezuela, Honduras, Bolivia, countries that their fiat currencies are worthless. Right? They're, it's hyperinflation. They don't trust their government. They, they had a burning platform and a need to invest in this technology earlier. And I think most uh, entities in the U.S., especially real estate entities, have smartly said, you know, we're going to let other people bet a lot of money and make mistakes and fail fast, and we will learn from these mistakes. And now we're finally to the point where I think a lot of lessons have been learned and real estate companies can now derive real value from this technology. Um, well, thanks so much for, for sharing all this. Um, if, like me, um, our listeners uh, want to learn more about this, you know, we realize that this is we're headed right into this space. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, can they contact you? How do you give your advice? Um, Absolutely. Uh, either either email me, uh, just K in my last name, K Stoffman at Deloitte.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn, Kevin Stoffman. Uh, to me, no question is a dumb question. I, I love interacting with people about this topic. Great. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Uh, I'd like to thank my guest, Kevin, very much for your time. Very much appreciated. What an interesting topic we've covered today. Thank everybody out there uh, for listening to this podcast. And just once more, remind you uh, to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash the Real Estate Council and also on Twitter. Thanks so much. Oh, I really enjoyed